another episode of This Is What Blind Looks Like. I am Angie, and me and Kimberly today have a very special guest with us. We have Joey Stuckey, and he is a blind guitarist from Macon, Georgia. We are so happy to have him here today, so yes. Thank you for joining us. Hey, I'm so glad to be with you guys. The reason I got into music, and I think there are a lot of uh, sort of famous blind people in music. All of them are piano players predominantly, and I am a guitar player. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of fun. Uh, people say, hey, will you come play piano? I was like, no, you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, my piano my piano skills are what's called low side of adequate. Yeah. Uh, but Jeff Healy is really the only famous blind guitar player. But uh, I've been blind most of my life. I had a brain tumor when I was about 18 months old. Oh, wow. Uh, and, yeah, so it was it – was, um, a very touch and go situation. I almost died a couple times, and I still have some health challenges from the the brain tumor. And that does I, I talk about it for two reasons. One, I want people to know that whatever their really their heartfelt dreams are, you can accomplish those. If I can do it, you can do it. The second reason is that I think that the life sort of has this way of revealing the person you are inside. And it, it's like a sculptor that takes a piece of wood or a piece of stone. You'll right. often hear them say they, they, didn't, they didn't carve a horse of that piece of stone. The horse was there. They just chipped off the edges and revealed it. And I feel like, you know, my art is directly correlated to the sort of life challenges I have. And it sort of, you know, involved me to the artist that I am, scars and all. So as a, as a you know, a, a child of, uh, you know, 18 months old, two years old, uh, spent about three months in ICU, the doctors all said I wasn't going to make it, or if I did, I would never walk or talk. Oh, wow. Uh, they, yeah, they told my folks that, you know, it was going to be an eight, nine-hour surgery, and if I, they came out in less time than that, that they should be prepared that I hadn't made it. They came out in about three hours, and the doctor just said, well, I don't really know how to describe it, except that I just feel like a higher power took hold of my hands, and I just lifted the tumor out. So. Oh. It's it's from an early age. My parents were brilliant, and they focused me on affirmation. Right. So that day, that day, the brain tumor. You know, you could look at it, and 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 reasonably so, I think. You could look at it as the day I almost died, but the way my parents taught me to look at it as a child was it was the day I beat the odds, and it's a subtle difference, but I think it's an important one. And so that's really what's informed the rest of my life. And music has always been a great source of comfort, a great source of solace, a great source of companionship and entertainment. I didn't really think about being a musician in my early days because I was really focused on survival. Then, uh, you know, in my late teens, I started playing music and I have not done anything else since then. I've always been paid to do music. I I started getting paid when I was about, you know, 18, 19 years old. And I've just always done it. I've, I've never done anything else. I've always worked for myself. So it has not always been easy. Now, actually, I'm a bit curious. So your manager contacted me saying that you had found our podcast. I just, I'm so curious as to how you came across this podcast. Well, so yeah. So so first of all, let me just say, I've, I've known you for all of, I don't know, three or four minutes. Like you've got a wonderful voice and you've got a great spirit that's very obvious. And <laughs> uh, so I think those are the those are the keys, man. You know, just and you're and the thing that I think is exciting is I can tell you're comfortable being yourself, which is really crucial because oh, yeah. that's what people they want an honest experience. I, I started doing radio when I was in my 20s and, and I've done a bunch of TV shows and radio shows and and all that kind of stuff. But I discovered your podcast because you know I love this new world of media that we're in where there's so many people with unique perspectives that are sharing that, yeah. And I did searching for blind related podcasts because I wanted to be part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted, I wanted to share my blind story with, with different, different people as a source of education and inspiration as well. So that's how I found that I, I don't know, maybe 20 hits and out of those, you know, maybe, maybe 10 of them felt like they were really good quality, but I, I think, I think you're doing all the right things. You know, there's a book that I'm, I'm in love with right now uh, and it's called Atomic Habits. I have obviously the audiobook version. Atomic Habits talks about making, writing down or notating, however one does, uh, all the different aspects of the project that you're working on. Right. And 
making a 1% improvement in every aspect that you're working on. Right. And those that small percentage change like adds up to big things. And, and one of the examples in the book is one of the British bike racing teams. They were the worst in Europe. And they made these 1% minor changes to every little aspect in their craft and became world champions and dominated for like the next six, seven years. And uh, I've been doing that recently just myself on my YouTube channel. Oh, wow. And it's, it, well, and here's the thing. I have my lovely wife helps me. She's, she's sighted and actually has 20-20 vision. That's something we uh, keep good tabs on because one of us needs to be able to see. Right. Uh, one of the things I've done, one of my 1% changes is just going through and finding really good thumbnails for the YouTube videos. Right. Um, and, and that's just a small little thing. But, man, it makes a huge difference. I could care less, right? I mean, right. I, it means... Uh, but so so I, I forget about that stuff and I, it's I have to remind myself that you know by and large people do process most media through a visual media yep mm-hmm. podcasts you know have video content uh, you know all that kind of stuff they, they, they oftentimes most podcasts these days do do a, an audio version that's on all the podcast channels yep. and on Spotify they also usually have a YouTube version that's yep. up as well. Yep, exactly. You know, what I did to help with the visual aspect, I found some people that went to a, a film institute near my home yeah. town and asked students if, if I could hire them for, for dirt cheap to, to come and, and work on my projects. And, and yeah. that worked out. I've had people want to do it. And I, I pay them a little bit of minimum wage, but not much. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, but, it, it, but those kind of things are very creative. I mean, you know, and... and uh, I have a video now. I've found that short and snappy does the trick. I like long, detailed, oriented conversations. That's mm-hmm. just what makes me tick. YouTube, not so much. I have videos that are anywhere from three to five minutes long that I've spent a whole ton of effort and time and money on making really great, and nobody cares. Right. I have a stupid 24-second video uh, that has right now – over a hundred thousand views it's a little 24 second video and it was shot on a cell phone and it's just people love it and i'm like really (laughs) (laughs) wow that's hilarious that's the one so like the ones like the ones that i spend all the time and money on like the music video for one of my songs i have a song called blind man driving nice and uh yeah it's pretty funny and and it it, we actually got the police department in my hometown of making georgia now it's called making bib because the county and the city have merged (laughs) <laughs> so in making bib, uh, the, their police department came out, and we did like a cop, like kind of like a cops episode where there was a police car chasing me all around town because I was driving, and obviously it was not, you know, what I shouldn't be driving. <laughs> <laughs> and it was amazing. The city really got behind it and sent the police officer out and and let us have a car for a day, and was just really sweet about the whole thing. And everybody said, "Oh, they'll never do it. They'll never do it." But they did do it. And so, <laughs> so I, there's this wonderful video that's really comical, and I even have an audio described version. Uh, that I oh, put, cool. uh, but but that has about seven thousand views, whereas this stupid twenty-four second thing has over a hundred thousand views. <laughs> just, so anyway, that's that's the world we live in. YouTube is just really saturated. I mean, it's great, but you yeah. kind of have to know what you're doing if you want to make it and be successful yeah. with YouTube. I, and, and you know, it's really like that, just in general, in in any kind of entertainment field, because. Uh, the internet has done some amazing things all for the good, but it's also done some things that are hard. And and one of the things that the internet has done is you have a million people out there that now have a voice. And so the question is, how do you stand out from that million people? Because there's no way yep. that everybody heard equally. So yep. how do you stand out? And that's why it has to really be a multi-pronged, you know, uh, plan where you're doing, you know, all your all your social media, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter you know, Facebook and TikTok and all these different things have to work together towards a common goal. And, and you have to figure out how to stand out. If I had the skill, uh, I would do something ridiculous like juggle while riding a unicycle. I, I talk about a, what, what a life of success looks like as a blind brain tumor survivor. And the very first thing that I always talk about, sort of the four pillars of success to me, the first one is intention. Right. So once you have the intention, the, once you have the goal, once you have the idea, then that's that's at least 50% of the battle because now everything every decision you make unfolds from that core intention. So I think you're you're ahead of the game in that situation, but I mean being yourself and just being the cool person you are and and I think is is the key. 
and, and eventually, you know, you'll get together. But, you know, you'll have to find some interesting way of incorporating other things like, you know, being able to go out and do public talks maybe or, or yep. whatever else you want to do. But I personally find it amazing that, I mean, me personally, uh, your understanding of makeup and stuff like that and fashion, I have no clue. <laughs> That's like, I have rarely touched about that in, in this podcast. Like what what our focus is, is we we talk to other blind people. We've had a blind cane travel instructor come in and talk to us. We had guide dog users, you know, and that's just sort of my focus, just to educate the general public. I've been going to schools and talking to kids and telling them about what I do as a blind person. And I bring all my little gadgets and braille books and, you know, I money identifiers and magnifiers and I give them my life story and then I pass it around. And by the end, they are, they're so like, fascinated and intrigued and I think it helps getting to kids at a young age my message is always blind people can still do things but Mm -hmm. in a different way like there's not one way of doing one thing just like a formula an equation an answer there's more than there could be 10 ways to get the same answer but you still get the same answer Absolutely, Kimberly. I mean, that's so true. I mean, the universe is much more complex and and, and flexible than people Mm -hmm. think. And I think that's the key because, you know, one of the things that I I like to talk about is is that blind is not a dirty word, you know? No. Oh, no. The reason the children feel uncomfortable around it is because their parents feel uncomfortable. Yep. They're like, no, no, no. They're like, don't stare. Don't stare. Like, oh, don't say that. Like, you know, and it's just like, no, just say it. Just say the five letter word. Okay. Like just say the B word. Don't be scared. You know, that's why we have it in our title. Exactly. That's why (laughs) this, that's why it's there. And, you know, another thing to add about Kimberly is she is working hard to get her Braille, uh, transcription certification certification yeah Yeah, there we go that's what i wanted to say which is awesome i mean i like i barely learned braille and i'm still practicing and i still sound like a little kid when i'm reading but i think like that's that's devotion and that's commitment right there like she wants to you know because braille literacy is very much alive and well and you know kim really wants to work to keep it going and transcribe braille for other people you know well, it's, I'll tell you, it, it really is important, and I don't use it as much as I should. I didn't learn Braille until I was about 12 or 13. Oh, wow. And That's the, common, though. Yeah. Yeah, and the reason was, until that time, there was nobody for about 300 miles that taught it. Oh. And so we had no, you know, I would have learned it uh, immediately right. had, I, had, had I had the option, but at that time, uh, there was just nobody around that taught it. And finally, someone came to our area uh, who did teach it, and I started learning it. And I'm still – I'm not a fast Braille reader. I My my brain works, you know, better. I mean, I can read Braille, and I do. Uh, and I use it for, like, labeling. Mainly, I use it for labeling stuff. Right. Uh, you know, uh-huh. But I don't really read Braille books or anything like that. I can read a menu at a restaurant if I need to. But my strengths, and just like you said, Kimberly, I mean, there's, there's 10, 15 different ways to get the same solution to the problem. And for me, my strength is my memory. So I re- once you tell me something, oh, yeah. and so that it's just faster for me to just, just I just remember. And, mm-hmm. and, and me that, too. Yeah, that's just, it's just faster for me. That's just, so, you know, eventually it comes down to workflow. How, what's the thing that gets the work done the quickest, right. the most efficiently? But I, for me, I, but I do love Braille and I, I treasure it and value it and think it's amazing. I'm, I'm just, you know, I was never really good at like grade three with all the different contractions and stuff like that. I just, I just never, we just, oh yeah, we mm-hmm. never did it. And, yeah. and I never learned. And then, and then when I got into music, uh, again, there was nobody for three or 400 miles that taught me Braille music. So I just went, you know, I just put it into my, I use brain power and I just, I have a good ear, I have a good memory, and I, I use that because that's just, that's what's available. I know how right. to actually print a page, I just can't do it. Yeah. I even teach my students how to read sighted music, but I just, I oh, can't wow. see them. I'm like, okay, here's what it should look like, here's the line it should be on, this is what it means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, my first teacher, when I started taking guitar when I was about 17 years old, uh, had never taught a blind student before. He said, I know I can do it, but I just need to think about the best way to give you the knowledge you need. And he actually said, okay, I know you can't see this. I know you're not going to be able to read it, 
but I want you to know what the staff looks like and what the music notes look like. So he took a box of sand and drew in it and said, here are the shapes. So you now, now I'm giving you the tools that you can at least talk about it with somebody else. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Cool. Isn't that brilliant? And his name's Terry. And Terry's like, Terry's my big brother. He's been there for me more times than I can count uh, when I needed him when I was going to college the first time. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm currently working towards a master's degree at Berkeley online, but that's another story. That's awesome. That's really, that, that honestly, that is something that is so commendable. Well, I I love, and I love music and and this particular is music business is the focus. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I've got the technical uh, artistic stuff down cold uh, and the music business stuff is where, you really have to strategize if you want to earn an income. And if right, you exactly. Because be, you got to learn about copyright be, and, and, and all that kind of... Oh, yeah. Stereotypical starving artist, right? I mean, I, I want to I reject the notion that art and, and being poor are the same thing. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. So, so I'm, really, I'm really big on that. And I, I know a lot of the music business stuff you know, already because I've been doing it for so long. But uh, it's, the Berkeley guys are so cool because you're learning from people that worked in a high ranking position at warner brothers or at sony or right you know one of the really companies that so you really are learning from the guys and what's important about that is that you're able to because of the teachers they have for the classes you're able to kind of see what's coming next in the music business you're able to start sort of forecasting it instead of trying to catch a wave after it's passed and right that's really important. right so you know Especially for me, like all the director fan marketing, uh, social marketing, all that kind of stuff's really important to learn that from the guys that are out there in the trenches and are doing it in a big way. Exactly. But it, it is it is brilliant. I mean, it is braille is to, to circle back. I mean, it, it is really handy, and I, I commend you for that because it's it's a needed. We still need that tool. I still I still use it if I'm listening to audiobooks and they're for entertainment value, and it's a good narrator. I'll listen at normal speed. Right, but I'm sure you're the way. If it's Jaws mm-hmm. or if it's voiceover or, or if it's if it's a book that's technical in nature, yeah, I'll just crank it up and have it running really fast. Yeah, you know, yep. Yep. oh yeah, yeah. Yep. And and and, I, and people come into my recording studio and they hear that little <laughs> background. And one guy actually asked me, "Is that Cantonese?" <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. I, I think I speak you know Cantonese, but uh, no. It's actually English. That is, it's closer to Creole than Cantonese. That's for sure. One of the students, when I showed them my voiceover on my phone, they called it warp speed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I try to explain to my students because I teach at two universities here, and I teach music technology. And mm-hmm. so I, I tell them, it's like basically, people people are always. I think there's there's an interesting sort of myth out there that because you're blind, your ears are better. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I, yep. <laughs> it's not that my ears are physiologically different than yours. They're not. It's simply that I process auditory information better than you do. I describe it as a toggle switch. And what I tell the kids is that you know that you, when you're over, trying to overhear someone, you you kind of strain to listen. I was like, it's like that for me. Only the toggle switch is on all the time. <laughs> Right. And, 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 you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, people that have telescopes or, or binoculars, you can zoom into something, you know, you can do that with your ears too. You can focus and, and bring other, other uh, sounds into the forefront. And I've talked to them about apps because, you know, nowadays people are born with, with the tech, Uh, you know, when you're, when you're like three years old, you're a computer genius these days. So, (laughs) uh, you know, I mean, and and so, so I talk, I was like, look, if you have 10 apps open on your cell phone, your cell phone's going to run kind of slow. If you only have one app open, that's going to be super efficient. So one of my apps is closed. The app to my eyes is closed, which means the hearing app runs better. And that's just, you know, that's kind of how I. Oh, that is, that is such a a unique way way to explain What does it mean to be human? And part of that is trading information, trading stories. Stories are how we really understand our place in the universe. And that's why I love music and art so much, because I think, artists have a very to me a, a a critical job because we can act as historians we can act as philosophers and we can help generate conversations we can record events you know we can do all these things that are really important to the human experience and so i really believe that 
you know, conversation is at the heart. I mean, for me, I mean, some people might call it boring. I don't know. But I, I'm not a real partier. For me, a, a party is a nice, lively conversation. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that is my – that's what mm -hmm. I really love is sitting down with people that I care about, people that I find fascinating, uh, and just exchanging ideas, exchanging experiences, learning something new. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like that's really important, especially like now we're in a pandemic right now in a global pandemic. And now we crave human connection more than ever because Absolutely. we can't have it. Like we can't go out and, you know, go to a restaurant or grab a drink at a bar or go out, hang out with friends, whatever you do, or go or go go to a concert. You know, it's hard. Yeah, It's really difficult. And especially with someone like myself who has. I'm in a higher risk category because yeah. uh, I have no endocrine system. The brain tumor destroyed my endocrine system. So oh, wow. uh, like I don't, without medication, I don't have adrenal function, all these kind of things. Oh. I, I'm, I'm basically, you know, I, I, I function well, but I have to work at it. Uh, so I, my doctors are super sweet. When you find a good doctor, I hang on to them. When they say, yes. that, when, they, when they say that they want to retire, I tell them I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I don't care if it's 80. Shut up and just, you know, take care of me forever. My wife's an advanced practice nurse, which is quite handy. Oh, oh wow. That's yeah. really cool. Well, you know, there's this whole thing about nurses always being hot and uh, uh, that's a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one that I chose to believe in, and I got lucky. I was right. Awesome. Uh, but, 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 it, but she's also super smart. She has a master's degree in nursing, and then uh, basically another another sort of um, certification in midwifery. That's sort of her specialty. So, oh wow, yeah, she's really. I mean, she's brilliant. She's brilliant, and more importantly than her scientific brain, which is which is outstanding. One of the smartest people I know, uh, which is honestly saying something. I know some really smart people, uh, but she has the heart of a healer, which is really critical mm -hmm. because one of the things that's missing from you know patient care oftentimes is. The, the understanding that you have to treat the whole patient. You can't just treat the body. You have to treat the whole patient because all these things are connected, you know, but she's a, she's a real, she's like me. She, she had loves science, but she's also a very spiritual person. And, and we, that's why music's like the perfect thing to me because there's all this technical stuff uh, that's, that's really important to the creation of music. But then there's the creative process. That's all about spirit. That's all about inspiration. And so anyway, uh, but I have a really great team of doctors and, and you know, they just want me to be extra careful. And, and because COVID would be a much more difficult thing for me to recover from because I have some other issues. But anyway, it is really tricky right now to, to find, to, 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 to find ways to stay engaged. It, it, it's too easy to become disengaged because you're just, you're kind of, you know, you're locked in uh, you know, to, to trying to be safe and trying to be considerate of other people. Uh, that are at higher risk factors and all these different things. And the other day I had to go to a, a major hospital in Atlanta for a routine checkup. And uh, there was a ton of people there. I mean, a ton. Oh, wow. And I had many people for a while. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> there's so many people here. Mm -hmm. It was really trippy. It was a weird experience because there was just so many people there. And I was like, wow, this is a lot of people. So, you know, it's, it's we, we have to really be mindful of not to be freaked out by by you know being around so many people now because it's we're used to kind of sheltering in our own little space. I can relate to you as far as the health stuff is concerned. I have a few health problems myself since birth and I have to be very careful of COVID myself and have to go to a lot of doctors. So I yeah. hear what you're saying when it comes to that. Yeah. And it's really, it's tricky, you know, I mean, and, and the thing is, I mean, and I, I'm not going to try to go down this rabbit hole because I know people are probably sick of hearing about COVID, but it really is not well understood, and there's so much information uh, that's that's speculative at best, uh, and then there's a lot of misinformation. So it's really hard to to kind of understand your place in in the world of the pandemic right now. Um, but yeah, it, it's I mean, fortunately, the doctors I go to uh, don't see me as a number; uh, they know me as a patient. They love me as a patient. Uh, and they're all uber careful and take their jobs as healers really very seriously. That's awesome. So that, that's a real blessing. Right. But it took time to all, let me tell you. <laughs> it took time to find. It's just like, you know, it's just like anything. You know, it's, it's, they're, they're relationships that had to be built over time. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have good relationships and sometimes you have bad ones. But I am fortunate enough right now to be 
at a place for the last six, seven years, I've had really amazing people in my life from a medical perspective, which is awesome. I mean, it's, it's great. That's why I say none of them can retire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is so, not, I have spoken. <laughs> so can you tell us like how the brain tumor affected your yeah. eyes? I'll give you a combination of a medical answer and a, a simplistic answer at the same time. So sure. what, what basically happened was uh, the full story is I was about 18 months old and my mom had been concerned that something was not quite right with me for a little while. Um, she felt like I wasn't, you know, making some of the milestones that I should, that I wasn't, didn't seem to be tracking her like I should now. I mean, babies and stuff have terrible eyesight anyway. Yeah. Uh, and they don't, they don't understand the rule of object permanence and all that kind of stuff yet. So, uh, you know, but she just felt like something was a little off. And, you know, my, my position on that is moms know, moms know their kids. And, uh, yep. The doctors, this is back in the mid-70s, the doctors said, you know, ah, you're just an overprotective mother, he's fine, go home, bake cookies, whatever. Uh, you know, that that was kind of their dismissal. And then one day, my dad had hold of my hand. I was walking, but he had hold of my hand. He let go of it for a second to, to pick something up, and I took two steps and fell down a flight of about 30 <gasps> stairs. And so oh they rushed God. me to the hospital. And I was actually fine, believe it or not, as far as the stairs go. It didn't, it didn't hurt me. Wow. Uh, apparently, I have a hard hit. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, but yeah, they took me to the hospital, and they said, oh, I think this kid's blind. And uh, the reason was that the brain tumor, while it was not a cancerous tumor, uh, so technically it was non-malignant, it, it was expanding at such a fast rate uh, that it was basically ripping out the wiring, uh, destroyed my sense of smell, destroyed my adrenal function, uh, and, and basically my endocrine system. So all, most of my glandular functions have to be regulated via you know, pills or shots or whatever. And okay. uh, it's not a perfect system, and it's kind of tricky because ideally you'd have biofeedback, right? Your body goes, hey, I'm tired. I need some adrenaline. Um, but mine doesn't do that. So every three months, I have a, a, about eight tubes of blood drawn every every three months, and they try to regulate my medicine through blood work, which you know is imperfect. So there are days that are really tough on me to to to, to just stand up sometimes. But I, I I get up in the morning sometimes. So basically, let's say I want to be at the office at nine o'clock in the morning. That means I get up at six and start my day so that I can be fully functional and get all my pills in me and get get over the first part of the day because the first part of the day always really sucks the first part of the day is like i i cannot set up today i'll never make it but then i force myself to get up and i set up and then well i'm sitting up but i'm not gonna be able to stand up then i force myself to stand up and then you know in a couple hours once i've gotten my medicine in you know and i have to drink a lot of fluids i have to be real careful to make sure i have you know a high fluid intake uh, to stay hydrated and all this kind of stuff once i get that stuff done 85% 85% of the time, I'm good until I go back to bed. I'm, I'm, I'm set. I'm good. My clients and stuff never know that I have any kind of issues I have to deal with at all. Um, you know, I, I, I do have things I have to watch, and I have to be real careful to take my medicine on a, on a schedule and stuff like that. But, you know, by and large, I'm able to compensate pretty well. Occasionally, um, you know, I'll get something that, that hits me harder than it would hit a, you know, someone that didn't have my particular issues. So I don't get sick more than most people or anything like that. But if I do get sick, it's a lot more difficult to combat. Um, okay. so, so we have, when we, and I tour all over the world. So when we travel, we have a suitcase full of medicine. I mean, a whole suitcase dedicated to it. I mean, there are all kind of shots and all kind of crazy stuff. Uh, and they never give me any problem about that, but they always make me take my iPad out, iPad out of my bag. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I take my shoes off and my iPad on my bed, but all the drugs are perfectly fine. So, <laughs> you know, and, and I, 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 that, that really is true. And I'm glad that they don't give me a hard time about the medicine, but uh, it is kind of funny. But anyway, yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of the, a quick snapshot of sort of what, and I was so sick as a child. I mean, after the brain tumor surgery, and again, now today they can perform this surgery uh, by going through your nasal passage. But back when I was. Oh, my know, gosh. 70s i have a scar that starts right above my right ear and goes to the middle of my forehead oh wow and i had oh. to take that whole flap of skull you know uh off 
and uh, to get down in there and get the, the tumor. Oh, wow. So, and I have I, I, a latent issue from the brain tumor. Uh, I had to have a, a, a total hip replacement back in 2002. Uh, so I have a metal hip on this right side. And, and it was weird. It was just like uh, one day my bones basically crumbled to dust. There was oh something called God. a God. Yeah, it was scary. Uh, it was something called vascular necrosis. And so what happened was the blood supply to that bone stopped getting delivered and then the bone died. So I was, my, I was hurting. I was misdiagnosed for over a year with bursitis and oh. I was hurting. And then one day I was like, Oh, I can't walk. <laughs> so I was like, so I spent about six, seven months in a wheelchair, but um, you know, I met my wife during that time. I directed a musical in the wheelchair. I did all kinds of stuff in the wheelchair. It wasn't fun. Uh, but you know, I was able to, and then, in 2018, I had to have a complete shoulder replacement on my right. So, you know, there are bone issues that relate to that, uh, that, that brain tumor as well. So it, it's, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing, but I choose to believe that scars are sexy and I look like James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> that is, but I mean, and, 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 you know, and they're like the, the, my shoulder scar is not, not super big, but my hip scar is is i don't know it's about 14 inches and again nowadays they can do it through about a oh about a five inch about a five inch scar but if anyone ever sees the scar which is you know rare but if they ever do i was like oh i I got that in a sword fight i'm a real swashbuckler (laughs) (laughs) you should see the other guy yeah 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 he's missing all he's missing everything oh my gosh so but i mean it's you know and, and the thing is, like, what I like to tell people, too, is if you, you know, having these challenges requires, uh, it does require a positive attitude. It does require a can-do spirit. It does require the fire to say, I will not be beaten. Uh, at the same time, uh, if I was, and I'm generally a happy person. I, I'm, I'm joyful. I love life. I'm, I'm just like you guys. I'm so fascinated by the world. I'm so interested in, in, in people and, and how people do things. And I mean, I'm so curious, right. but at the same time, if I were happy 100% of the time, you should be worried for me. That would be, un- that would not be natural. No, that would be, be strange. So I think it's totally acceptable to say having a shoulder replacement was terrible. I hated it. It was not something I want to go through again. I think that's normal. I think people should feel comfortable in saying, I am not happy with this situation. I am angry. I am frustrated. I am sad. All those things are fine. You just can't live there. Yeah. You know? And that's how music kind of comes back to all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, is that in music, we have chord forms. And there are lots of different types of chords. You can have compound interval chords, your sharp nines, and aug 11s, and all this stuff. You can have major, minor, augmented, diminished. You can have all these different things. But when you take all that complicated technical stuff and break it down, there are two chord types, and they are consonant chords and dissonant chords. Right. And the consonant chords are the chords that are pretty that require no no other energy. They You can hang on those chords for a long time and make music. Yeah. The problem with that is that they have no tension they are more points of resolution. So they have no tension, which means there's no energy or, or impetus to make you want to, to leave that chord to give you a place to go. So the art is a little stale if all you do is play the consonant chords. Yeah. The distant chords that aren't really pretty, and they, they are you know, not something you'd want to play. You wouldn't want to play a diminished chord for 172 bars, but, but they are the chords that have energy and that drive you to move from point A to point B. So I think about life like that. I think that, you know, the bad experiences while are not things I seek and not things that I particularly cherish. I feel like if I come out the other side, a better, wiser person, uh, then, then I have used them to my advantage and they have just refined me into a better, like a better being. Right. So that, that's how I think about it. And, and, and so, you know, music, that's why music to me is the perfect expression of my journey is because it, it is, it is art. It is science. Um, it, it is, it is, uh, you know, and it's also a language and it's all, it's, it's all about communication. So that's why I love it so much. It, you know, that's, that's how, that's why I don't actually do music. You know, I'm not a musician per se. 
you know, music is a natural extension of my spirit. It's just right. what I, it's just what I do. Mm-hmm. It, it's the same thing as breathing for me. And uh, so, yeah, anyway, that's my long answer to your question. <laughs> so you said you started playing guitar when you were 17. What is it exactly that your life is like with music right now? And how is it that you have a manager? Tell us a little bit. Yeah. What yeah. Is at the moment. Basically what, what happens in any craft is you start off not knowing what you're doing and then you spend a lot of time on it. You have a natural aptitude for it and you begin to build a career. You begin to build a reputation. You begin to get people talking about you, uh, people wanting to hear what you have to say or what you have to share. And eventually you get so busy with that craft that you need to start building a team of people in place to help you keep the momentum going and to, to keep up with the daily workload. And so eventually you will come to a point where you need a manager or you need somebody else in your life to help you take care of it. At first you're going to have to do everything yourself. Yep. Uh, you know, cause you can't afford to do it any other way. Yeah. Um, that's me right now. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, you know, that's a normal stage of progress. Uh, so you know, eventually I started needing more. There was more to do than I could handle on my own. And while I did a good job uh, of handling everything, you know, it's it's nice to get experts in their field and, and let them take care of you. So I um, I have a couple things to say about that. So, so first of all, initially when I first started needing help and I you know, sort of started trying to build a team to support what I was doing, I tried to do like a one-stop shop where I had one person that I communicated goals and dreams and visions to, we strategized, and then I tried to leave that person to execute parts of that stuff that I either couldn't do myself because I didn't have the ability uh, or if I did, or expertise or things that I didn't have time to do myself anymore mm-hmm. and, you know, that kind of thing. And so that was, in retrospect, a mistake because – I'm kind of a Swiss army knife. I do a lot of different things. Uh, and there are people like that, uh, that are eclectic in nature, but what I found works better is, yeah, I can do X, Y, Z for you and it will be okay. But if, if it's not my wheelhouse, you might want to get somebody else who only does X, Y, Z. Right. You know? Yep. And, and so that's kind of, I mean, like, like, for example, like with, with audio, there's lots of things with like, there's mastering. Yep. I do. I do mastering. I do it all the time for my clients that want me to do it. But there are guys in LA and New York um, that only do mastering. Yeah. Have a, have a million dollar studio that oh, just yeah. does mastering. Now they cost 400 bucks an hour. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you're trying to put out a product that's going to compete with the big boys, you may want to consider spending that money with those guys. What I do for you will be great, but these guys that only do mastering are going to take that project the extra 15% that I don't take it. So yep. I'm, I'm, I'm a great mm-hmm. mixer. I'm a great recorder, you know, recording engineer. I'm a great session musician. I'm an I'm a excellent producer. All those things I'm competitive with, I'll, I'll go up against just about anybody. Mm-hmm. But there are certain things where I don't do that. So, for example, I play keyboard at a low side adequate level. If it's a really simple part and it doesn't need a great piano player, I'll play it for you. But if it if you need if the song requires someone who's a master piano player, let's get the master piano player in. You know, let's yeah. let's go, let's go hire someone who only plays piano and has been doing it for forty years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's 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 the kind of things you have to think about. So, eventually, what I realized was that i really need to have several different team members which does require more communication and more strategic planning to integrate all team members but it's better to have someone that handles specific tasks and have those people do the things that they are really good at so i have i have one person that i use for only for press releases that's all they do for me whenever i have a press release that's all they do because they get the best results uh, I have somebody else that only does my radio campaigns. When I'm promoting a new song for terrestrial r- uh, radio, mm-hmm. uh, I have that person. And I actually break up my radio campaigns into terrestrial radio 
and into web or satellite-based radio. Uh, and, and again, it's in, in that instance, and this is, I don't want to get uber technical, but in, in that instance, it's about relationships. You want someone that does radio campaigns every single day and that's all they do yeah. because they have relationships with all those stations. And, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the radio business, because I was in it for a, a while, uh, there's a high turnover rate of people in that business. And so you want to have someone that's constantly building those relationships, that's constantly involved with those that same 300 stations or 500 stations that you're working with and let them do all that stuff for you. You don't, if I do it, it's going to be less successful because I don't have time to build those relationships uh, because I do 50 other things. So anyway, that's kind of how I worked into management. And actually um, uh, I was, I was doing a show in Chicago and one of my managers artists was playing at that show. And so they heard me play. And then they reached out to me and say, hey, I think we could I think we could you know, help you do some of the things that you need doing. You know, are, are you interested? And I was like, yeah, let's talk. And and she is like really one of the greatest people I've ever known, has a great heart, uh, has is a smart person uh, and just really does a lot of amazing things. So we work together. But but, you know, she handles certain aspects of my career. Uh, and then I have you know, other people to do other stuff. I have. Uh, one person that helps me with, so I do most of the social media stuff I do for myself, but I have a friend of mine who's a, who's a Berkeley professor, one of, was one of my professors at Berkeley, and who also said, hey, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd love to help you out if you need me. Uh, I believe in what you're doing, and uh, you know, I'd love to help you out. And so that, that he's sort of my, my secret weapon in the social media world that helps me coordinate the big picture stuff. I do a lot of the little detail stuff, because um, it's easy for me to do and, and it would be cost prohibitive for him to do it uh, just because of the time it would take. And at the end of the day, you build this team, but at the end of the day, you're still responsible for your career. You're the only person that's really, you know, you have to be involved, but you can't do everything for yourself anymore. So anyway, that's kind of how I moved into man- having a manager. And, and eventually, you know, when you reach the right stage, you'll, you'll find that, that person that you need to help you coordinate, you know, all the things you're doing. And, and to be an advocate, you know, for you. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how it works. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. So tell us what all you do music wise. You said that you're like a professor or something, but how does being a guitar player, what is your career exactly not including like the stuff you've mentioned so far? Yeah. So basically, I learned to play music because I wanted to tell my story. I wanted to share who I was. I wanted to express myself. And so the the big goal, the, the sort of the, the, the main core of intention was to live my life through music as an art form uh, and to to make a living doing that. So that that was that was first thing. So first and foremost, I would consider myself an artist. And then it just happens that I play guitar at a really high level. I sing at a very high level. I play bass at a very high level. Uh, and then I play a number of other instruments at sort of a low side of adequate level. Uh, I, I monitored in percussion when I was in college. Oh, wow. So I, I yeah, I'm I'm an I'm an I'm okay drummer. Uh, I'm a great drum part writer, and I'm a great drum programmer, and I'm an adequate drummer. You know, I, I'm okay. But what's more important about that is that I'm really good when it comes to communicating with master percussionists. So I can talk in their language. I can tell them what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, so it evolved that in my first band when I was, you know, 18 years old or whatever, uh, I ended up learning. My bandmates just weren't learning the music. And... And, and, and so we had a band uh, that had four guitar players in it. And that's just too many guitar players. Um, you know, <laughs> you know two is plenty. Uh, one is even better. Um, so we all played guitar. And, and I said, well, look, you know, we're all just sitting here playing the same stuff. We're all just playing. Everybody's playing a G chord, you know, and that's just not interesting. Um, and so what I started doing was I started learning all the parts. I'd learn the drum parts. I'd love the bass parts. I'd learn the guitar parts. I'd learn all the vocal parts. 
And then I would teach it. She was like, you play this, you play this, I'll play this. And I started playing bass. I stopped playing guitar um, and, and went to bass because we needed a bass player. And so that is how the producer in me was born. Because oh, wow. my job my job as a producer, which is how I primary, that's, that's my primary source of income, is I work with artists and I take care of all the things. Like, you know, I, I say, well, look, you know, this drum part isn't complimenting the bass part. This guitar part is too much. You need to simplify. Uh, the vocals are a little out of pitch here in measure 34. Um, we need to, I need to put a different microphone on that guitar amp so it'll sound more like this because we're going for this kind of mood. So those are the things that I do as a producer. Uh, I, so I sort of facilitate the artists. I let the artists be themselves and create art. And then I, I facilitate all the technical issues, um, take care of all that stuff so they don't have to. They can just be themselves. So my job is not to make them into something they're not, but to just bring forth the best version of themselves that we can get. That's awesome. And it's, tr and it, it's tricky because there's a, there's a technical side, there's a spiritual side. And honestly, 50% of my job is psychiatry. Yeah. 50% 50 of my job is making them feel happy, making them feel comfortable. Because yep. guess what? If they're, if they're frustrated... You know what happens? Session's over. Oh, yeah. If they're, you know, if they're frustrated, like, nothing good's going to happen the rest of the day. Oh, we, yeah. We, we're just wasting our time. Yeah, so, that's, so, that's, that's that so is, true about session, yeah. Yeah, and that is my primary, like, I make my music because I have to, because I'm compelled to do so, because it's a compulsion. It is, it is how I have to exist. I have to have it. It's just like food and water. Yep. I, I have, I have to do it. Mm -hmm. So, I make, you know, uh, you know, probably if I had to, if I had to compartmentalize, I'd probably make about 30% of my income as a touring artist that sells records. Uh, I make about 20% of my income as an educational, you know, as an educator and an you know, inspirational speaker. Then I make the rest of it from being a producer and recording engineer and a studio owner. But it's, it's beautiful because when I, when I first got in the music business, I thought, okay, I want to tour the world. I want to meet new people i want to go new places i want to experience new things and and be engaged and fascinated and absorbed with, with all the amazing things our world has to offer but being blind transportation is really one of the hardest components mm -hmm. um and you know for me mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so and so i said well what what is a good thing in the music business what's a way to make people come to me so that i can minimize the effort I have to make to get to the job. Right. What and so it occurred to me that having a recording studio was was that was an answer. Now that's when I was, you know, 18 years old. Now and back then the technology, the adaptive technology was just awful. I mean it was it was terrible. Nowadays I travel all, all over the world and fly all over the world and, and all that kind of stuff. And there's Uber and all kind of other stuff. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not a big a problem as it as it used to be. So I do all kinds of things. You know, 2019 uh, most of that year I was on the road. Oh, wow. I, was, I mean, I was home for maybe, I was home for maybe four months and the rest of the year I was on the road and we were in Chicago, Detroit, LA, New York city, uh, uh, you know, all just all over the place, South Carolina and just all over Georgia. My wife, uh, is able to travel with me. She retired from, uh, full-time nursing back in 2016, uh, because she developed an autoimmune issue so we're able to travel together and go over together and take care of each other and so it's a lot of fun but yeah i mean primarily you know my my skill as a guitar player comes comes into being important and as a singer and stuff like that it's important for my own music it's also uh, you know i play on a lot of people's records so i deal with people that are singers only and they don't play a musical instrument so i'll oftentimes you know, craft the entire song for them right by myself. I'll play the drums and the piano and the bass and the guitar and, you know, do all that stuff. And then if it requires someone who's above me in, in the, you know, keyboard or drum realm, then I'll, I'll, I know those people and can bring them in. And, and, you know, like on my current single, which is called, you know, my name, um, you know, I've got a full horn section that I brought in. Oh, nice. Uh, have a, a, a dear friend of mine, Randall Bramlett, who's a, I think he's a, a musical genius and a, a Georgia treasure, and he's a you know pretty famous musician. Um, he's playing B three organ on there, and it's just it's a lot of fun. So when I need when I have those other components, I have these other session musicians I can bring in, 
but that yeah that's what i do every day is i create I, every every single day is some some act of creation uh and my my soul is so eclectic that it makes me a really amazing producer because i can work with any genre i can work with any style any genre because i love music i don't care if it's classical hip-hop heavy metal country jazz whatever if mm -hmm. it's good i'll listen from a branding perspective it makes the art that i create a little harder to brand mm -hmm. uh, because, because i'm so eclectic so what i've done over the last 10 years or so, I've really become kind of known as a blind blues musician. Yeah, I, I honestly, that's what I, that's what I figured you, you, yeah. your, your genre, like, yeah. you know, to be we, like blues. Yeah. And we call, I mean, because my catalog is pretty, you know, pretty extensive, we've come up with a, a made up genre, but I mean, they're all basically made up. <laughs> you know? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. We've made up a genre called progressive Americana. Uh, Americana is a very large umbrella but it includes a lot of stuff, everything from country to blues. Uh, and uh, so that helps out. And then uh, we add the word progressive in there, which usually denotes, uh, you know, a bit of jazz influence. Yeah. Like when you talk about, when you talk about progressive rock. Yeah. 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 Like those prog guys, rock. Yeah. Yeah. Prog rock. So yeah. those guys have, you know, they have uh, very rock and roll chops, but they also have some, some jazz modality thrown in there as well. So, so that's, so what I do now is I brand myself very broadly and then I brand each album very narrowly. So each album is a little bit of a different flavor because mm -hmm. when I first started, it was a little harder. People liked what I was doing. And this is before, you know, the internet was a thing. People liked what I was doing, but they, it was, it was a little harder to, to pigeonhole what the genre was, right. which is an it, it's sad that we have to do that, but to figure out how to reach your target audience, you got to figure out where they are and who they are. And so you have to, you have to sort of oversimplify things, but anyway, yeah, I mean, but that's it. Every, that's kind of my, every day I'm either working for myself on some piece of art that I'm making, or I'm working for a client and helping them make their art. And, and I love doing that. And I, especially I've worked with some famous people, but awesome. I, I, I treasure that. I really do. But I, I really also treasure as much or more, working with people that are just starting out on their journey because I want to give them a really good first experience. I want to help set their path for success and help them not have to make some of the mistakes that I made, not have, not have some of the experiences I had that were not pleasant. So I, I really value that process. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's very important, you know, to be proud and to be value the work that you do and, and, what you said about like the music studio being like a psychologist's office. Yeah. It's so true. I, one of my instructors, cause I went to school for audio engineering. One of my instructors said the same thing. Well, it used to be called uh, Madison media Institute. Mm -hmm. One of my instructors was the former drummer of the band nine inch nails. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah. And then one of my other instructors like worked with like Michael Bolton, Slipknot, uh, one of my other instructors worked with like Justin Bieber, Jennifer Lopez, like, you know, That's oh my God. Yeah. So, and like they would share their experiences and stuff like that. And, and so many stories. And I'm just kind of like, wow. From, from an early age, I carried around a, a little cassette recorder everywhere I went. And every time I heard a fascinating sound, I, my parents would let me stop and record it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, 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 and my wife, uh, is god bless i still do the same thing but now it's with better tools but we were on tour in hawaii and i i said we were happened to be lucky enough to be on a private beach mm -hmm. and uh and i said hang on a second i love this ocean surf so i grabbed a tray that we'd had lunch on got out my digital recorder and my my stereo microphone walked out into the surf and stood there for half an hour let the waves just break around me and and record that sound and oh. she didn't think i was crazy or anything <laughs> and I mean, I've been I've been in New York City and stopped on street corners and said, "Man, the rhythm of this traffic, the ebb and flow of the the, the pulse of the city's heartbeat right now is so engaging. Let's stop a minute and let's just record this and listen." And and we did. And so just all kind of stuff like that. Sometimes sometimes I'll be in a hotel room and I'll hear an air conditioning unit. You know that typically they have those really loud, you know, air conditioning units that are bolted to the side of the wall and. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard one or two that I thought, wow, that's a really interesting sound. And what, what could I do with that sound if I modified it? 
and I'll stop and record it. So I, I love sound and, and, you know, my, my big skill is the right mic in the right location. I mean, that's, that's what a yeah. lot, that's what a lot of people, you know, pay me for is like, Hey, what, you know, what mic do I need? Someone said the other day, how can I get this guitar tone at home? I was like, well, you can't that's because you need this $3,000 microphone I'm using and yep. $5,000 mic pre also need the room, the acoustic room that I've built that your amp is sitting in. And then you need to understand how the physics of this works. Yep. So you put the mic in the right place. Yep. And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, so I, I, I love engineering. I mean, it, it is, I love it so much. I, I am frustrated with the accessibility, you know, for a lot of the stuff that's out there, but, but it's better than it was. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to recording, everything's so computer-based. My studio is all analog, but I record through the computer. So I, okay. I, re- I record digitally, I edit digitally, um, but everything else is all tube and, you know, analog stuff, LA-2As and, and Neve strips and all that kind of that stuff. That is such a great so, compressor, the LA-2A. Oh, I love it. Oh, it's it, it, it beautiful. Is, it is, it's a sexy beast. Uh, and, and honestly, man, I'll I'll plug stuff into it and not even compress. Wow! Just 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 to get the tonality. Mm-hmm. Just down because it it really if you if you look at it and I I was I can't see an oscilloscope but if but but you can you know the the lower harmonics mm-hmm. are really brought out on that compressor because of the tubes and I'll sometimes plug it in and just not even compress just to get the tone. Oh, um, wow. It's a subtle. It's a subtle difference, but it's one that is really important. But LA-2A is my favorite. Uh, DBX-160s are also really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have I have some that are made by, this is me being a nerd, but I have some some JDK and API oh, and wow. Million Lab compressors and stuff like that. I've also got some TL Audio, which is, uh, that's more, po- they're more popular in Europe right yeah. now, but they're really, they're really good. Uh, the ivory stuff. And then I have, uh, you know, I have a bunch of different boxes, SSL strips and uh, the EL8s and all this, right. you know, the, the, all these things. And, you know, everything from the, the classic Neumann U87 is mm-hmm. you know, obviously main tools, but I have, I've got about 200 microphones, I think at current count. Oh, wow. I still, I still want more. I actually talked with somebody um, from Ableton because I teach two music technology classes at the universities here in town. Oh, wow. And, and, and they wanted to come talk to my students and, and do like a guest lecture. And I said, well, I'd love to have you. Uh, uh, and, you know, you're welcome to come. And then COVID hit and they didn't show. They yeah. Didn't come. But but I said, uh, when they didn't show, they, they, they couldn't come. But I said, uh, you know, w- let's talk about accessibility. And uh, I've been talking to them about it. And it's like, we are aware of the problem, but, you know, whether or not mm. address. But my, my position on this is a lot of, a lot of blind people and rightly so are very frustrated mm-hmm. with, with the technology and, yep. and rightly so, but I'm a small business owner and I understand that you, you only have so much money to spend. Yeah. And you know, it, it takes about two years to bring a product to market. Mm-hmm. And then if you try to retrofit that product with accessibility, um, by the time you do that and spend the money on it, the product will be obsolete. Yep. So, what I'm trying to do is say, look, don't worry about version five that's out in the market right now. Let's talk about version seven. I want to give you, yeah. I want you, I want you to start building, like, let's, let's come up with a, with an environment, with a community that thinks about accessibility from the ground up when you're yep. building the new, and then it won't be such an expenditure. Yeah. Then it be such a hard, and, and there's a lot of people that are finally starting to take notice. I just saw about two or three weeks ago, there was an interesting article uh, with, that Antares was doing. Now, it's only for Mac users, but there's a blind engineer out there who's created some Antares scripts oh, wow. to help work. And there's a guy I know that made some scripts to work with Melodyne. Mm-hmm. Um, I Melodyne is great, by the way. Melodyne is the bomb. Yes. <laughs> yeah. One of my instructors, he had it on his laptop. And it's like... Just better. Oh, I know. Like you can, you can like correct like pitches. You can, you can make it so like it's so like the vocals are like harmonizing and everything. Well, the the cool. thing that's most amazing to me, and a lot of people don't use it this way, not yet. I think they will. But what's amazing to me is it actually shows you the fundamental frequency and the partial frequencies that are being 
created with the instrument. Yeah. So, for example, I had a choir come sing in my studio. It was fluid. So one of the things I was using Melodyne for um, that a lot of people I'm not sure have, have you know realized is that they have these wonderful tools where you can find out what the fundamental frequency is and look at that. You can look at the partials or the overtones, the harmonics, whatever you want to call it. And I had a choir of 30 middle schoolers uh, that I had recording at the studio. And some of the kids were, were not facing the microphone 100% the way I wanted them to. And I was, you know, I was getting some boominess off the recording because of the way they were, where they were standing. And, you know, the kids are all different heights. So you just do the best you can do with, with your mics. And some kids are going to be a little bit closer to the mic than others. There's nothing you can do about that. Right. But I was able to go in time, find where that boominess was coming from and just pull it out. And I've been using Melodyne as a little bit of an EQ for the, for the not, 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 you know, like, for example, when you EQ something, you say, oh, I'm going to add 10K to this snare drum. Well, that's fine, but you, you know, you're adding 10K across the whole thing of the snare. So if the drummer hits the snare in a different way, or better yet, say you want to add 10K to your vocals. Well, some notes don't need to have 10K added. But with the EQ, you're just putting a broad swath of frequency on the track. But with Melodyne, you can go in and on individual notes, go mm -hmm. in and change the actual EQ. And the other thing that's amazing, because you can see the partials and the fundamentals. Yeah. And you can see. And then the other thing that's amazing is you can actually change the format. So when I sing and I drop my jaw, that's a different tone than I get when I sing and I raise my upper lip. Mm -hmm. um, if I raise my upper lip, it's brighter. Um, and, and if I drop my jaw, it's a little bit more round. So, you know, there's all mm -hmm. format controls that you can do inside Melodyne. And again, it's, it's even with the scripts, that stuff's not really accessible. So I have to tell an assistant what I want and then let them do the, the work. But uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's something that any blind person who's into music, I know it seems like an exercise of futility, but reach out to the to the software developers that you're you know having trouble with, and let them know because what we need to do is let them know there is a market, mm -hmm. uh, albeit a small market, but there are, there's a market who wants to have accessibility to their products and will buy those products. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find your music, and you know if you have a Facebook, Twitter page, all that good stuff? Well, if you see a handsome man. <laughs> uh, that looks like James Bond with a cane and sunglasses. That's me. I'm probably going to be on your local street corner at some point. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, joeystuckey.com, J-O-E-Y-S-T-U-C-K-E-Y.com uh, is, is the, big, uh, the big website. That's where the catch-all. My recording studio is shadowsoundstudio.com. So you just spell those words out, and they're all run together. Of course, everybody does, knows the www part. I have facebook.com slash Joey Stuckey and also facebook.com slash Joey Stuckey Music. My Twitter and Instagram handles are at J Stuckey Music, and that's J, the letter, not the word. So J S T U C K U I. Um, and uh, my YouTube channel, if you search for Joey Stuckey, you'll find it. I have a ton of videos. I think the actual channel may be called Senate Records, which is my record label that I have. Uh, but But if you search my name, you'll find it. And on there are all kinds of music videos, lyric videos, um, different things of me working in the studio, different live performances. Uh, I have two TV shows uh, that I did. Actually, three TV shows. Well, actually, now I think about four TV shows are on there. I had a show called 15 Minutes of Fame. Those old episodes are on there. There's about, I think, 16 of them. Uh, there's a, a, a thing I had called Studio 41. Oh, wow. Uh, which is on there. That was on the local NBC station here in town. So those full episodes are on there. There's probably about, I don't know, 60 of those. There's a bunch of those. Then I had a show called Behind the Shadow, and there's about 12 or 13 episodes of that. And then I had one called Behind the Console, and there's about 10 episodes of that. And the Behind the Console is very much uh, music technical stuff. So it's about the creative process. It's about the recording process, all that kind of stuff. Right. The but behind the shadow is more about me exposing you to new artists, people that I've worked with and admire. Okay. Um, 
And uh, so there's there's all kinds of stuff. But yeah, you, if you Google Joey Stuckey, something will come up. It may or may not be life changing. <laughs> it may or may not be scarring, but you'll find me. Awesome, awesome. Will do. Okay. I will definitely be linking Joey Stuckey's information in the show notes below. Um, again, Joey, thank you so much for joining us today. We learned a lot. It was fun chatting with you. And yes, thank you so much. And we'll definitely check out your music for sure. Absolutely. And I expect world domination from both of you ladies. So yeah. <laughs> we'll try. Thanks. We'll try. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. Again, you can find us on facebook.com slash this is what blind looks like. You can find us on Twitter at blind looks like and you can listen to us on itunes soundcloud google podcasts and tune in and we're also on patreon you guys don't forget to just support us on patreon thank you guys for listening we love you guys so much and remember to tune in next time bye bye